Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 and stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 8. We'll begin reading at verse 40. This is the Word of the Lord. It is eternally true. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise! And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Death is the bitterest cup which we have to drink in this world. Death is an enemy. It's a cruel enemy. Death makes no distinctions in in his attacks. He comes to the rich man's house as well as to the poor man's shack. He does not spare the young. He does not spare the strong and the beautiful, any more than the old and the infirm and the gray-haired. He strikes those who take vitamins. He strikes those who diet, those who avoid gluten, and those who eat at McDonald's. Not all, all the gold of the world, nor all the skill of the Mayo Clinic can keep the hand of death from our bodies in the day of death's power. When the appointed hour comes... And God permits death to smite. Our worldly to-do list must be broken off. 
and our best friends and sweetest loved ones must be taken away and buried out of our sight in the damp and dark dirt of the earth. Death wins a battle. And life is a little more bitter for that win. Yet Scripture, the Word of God, teaches us that death is an enemy that will be defeated. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. 1 Corinthians 15.26 Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. Do you believe what Jesus said? Though you will die, do you believe you have passed out of death and into life? Through faith in Jesus Christ. When... When you last attended a funeral, did you go into denial mode, right? Thinking clinically about death, right? Or did you believe in the resurrection? Did you believe that the eternal God sent His Son into the world to defeat this awful thing, death, once and for all? Did you, do you believe that Jesus Christ has power over death? Or is Christianity just a social gathering for you? Your unbelieving friends and family members don't believe the things that I just asked you about. They believe that death has all the power. But there's nothing more powerful than death. They believe very scientifically that cells will simply shut down and cease to function. And death will be powerful over everything. They deny the soul. They deny the lasting consciousness. The very simple teachings of scripture and the whisperings of their own conscience, which has been in denial mode for quite some time. They believe that death is an undefeatable enemy. Please turn this mic on. Like the silence of those who have seen terrible things in warfare and will not talk about them, so are they who contemplate death without faith. They try to add lasting value to every by living out their fleshly philosophy. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Death is coming, and they are powerless to do anything about it. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about Jesus' power in the chapter, in in this, this section that we read. And in the whole gospel, Jesus has power over the minds of men when he preaches. He has power over the destiny of demons. He has power over the bodies of men for their healing. He has power even over death. Even and especially death. God is, or Jesus is almighty God. Second person of the triune Jehovah. He has power over what he has created. He literally rose from the dead, and that is the Christian hope. Even before his resurrection, Jesus displays his power 
over death. On that particular day in, in Capernaum, his power defeated an enemy we and ourselves are, are unable to defeat. Jesus had recently been kicked out of the Gerasenes. Those Gentile reject, Gentiles reject his power and choose rather to have the goods of the world over the presence of Jesus. Jesus returns to Jewish regions where it says at the beginning of our text, they had all been waiting for him. Rejected in Gerasenes, welcomed in Galilee and in Capernaum. A man named Jairus falls at the feet of Jesus and pleads for him to come to his home. For he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. Jairus loves his daughter. He does not want her to die. He does not want his only daughter to be laid in the ground. He does, and so he goes to the one who has life. He goes to Jesus Christ. He's heard. He's heard of the many incredible things that Jesus has already done in this city, in Capernaum. In fact, it's interesting to note that in Capernaum, Jesus does a number of miracles among the upper and well-connected classes. He heals a nobleman's son. He heals a centurion slave, and now he's dealing with the ruler of the synagogue. So Jairus, encouraged by those works, goes to him and he pleads with him. The account of Jairus and his daughter is found in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark also. And in Matthew, Jairus says his daughter has died. In Mark, Jairus says his daughter is at the point of death, literally uh, at, at her last breath. In Luke, as we read, the text says she was dying. And so regardless of the timing, it was clear to everybody, particularly to this father, that his daughter was not going to recover. She was, she was dead. She was lifeless. And before Jesus is able to make it to Jairus' house, it's clear that she has died. Who was Jairus? All we're told about him in the text is that he's an official of the synagogue. Uh, The synagogue was ruled by a board of elders. One of the responsibilities was to maintain good order at the synagogue meetings. Um, Jairus was a member of such a board. So Jesus is hearing the appeals, hearing the humble cries of a well-known and respected man of this city. He had religious responsibilities in the synagogue, and it seems clear that he has some faith. He was not protecting his city from, from Jesus, as the merchants of the Gerasenes had done, but he was going straight to Jesus for help. After Jairus' request, Jesus' presence at his home to heal his daughter, he, he arrives at his home to heal his daughter. Note that the scriptures say that it was, it was hard going to get there. He couldn't just get there straight away. He was delayed. Crowds were pressing against him, imagining the anxiety of that man. And then Jesus begins to speak with this woman, um, with the hemorrhage. And again, that man, the father's anxieties likely increased. Jesus, though, is calm. And will work toward Jairus' home at his own pace, uninhibited by any anxieties. And then, while Jesus is still talking with the woman... Jairus is anxiously waiting in the background, you know. Someone from Jairus' home comes and says, Your daughter has died. 
do not trouble the teacher anymore. And you think Jairus is probably saying, ah, if only. If only he had hurried. If only this woman hadn't interceded. Like Martha would say at the death of her brother, Lazarus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And confirming that Jairus was anxious and fearful, Jesus says to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. Or literally, she will be saved, are the words. She will be saved. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. Jairus has lost his daughter to death. Death, that great enemy of us all, has overtaken his 12-year-old daughter. She was just coming into adulthood. She had her life ahead of her, so to speak. She was a joy to his heart, and she is dead. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be saved. Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be saved. Believe what? Believe what? Believe that Jesus has power over death. He's stilled a storm. Fine. He's cast out demons. Fine. He's healed a woman who is sick. Fine. I mean, he, he's, he's not gotten to Jairus' daughter in time. Not fine. Death is won. There's no going back. Jesus is telling Jairus to believe in his power. He is telling Jairus, it is not too late He's telling him to believe in the midst of definite trouble. He's telling him that he will act. He is calling Jairus to be not afraid by believing that his daughter will be saved. Jesus has said it. It has to be true. It must be coming. It must be his will. She will be saved. Jesus is speaking about the miracle he's about to perform, and he's telling Jairus, to take heart, to be filled with courage, to wait to see what is coming. He's giving him comfort when he needs it most, and believing in the power of God will be that comfort. Faith can find room to build Ebenezer's under any circumstances. That's what Ryle says. And can sing songs in the night in any condition. In general, we are taught, Calvin says, in general, we are taught by this passage that we cannot go Beyond bounds in believing. Because our faith, however large, will never embrace the hundredth part of the divine goodness. And so it will be when you... lay a member of your own family in the ground... Your faith in the power of God to save a soul, though the body is lifeless, will be your comfort. Jesus makes it to Jairus' house and, and only allows Peter and James and John and the mother and the father of the girl to enter. He, they're the only ones allowed to enter into the house with him. And Jesus singled out those three apostles on other occasions as he saw fit to train them for their calling. 
Everybody else in the house is weeping and lamenting. They know she has died, and Jesus makes this pronouncement. Stop weeping, for she has not died, but she is asleep. And very quickly, from weeping and carrying on, they begin laughing. They begin laughing at Jesus. Now, from the other accounts in the Gospels, it seems clear that the ones laughing are the ones who have been lamenting while Jairus is away. Did Jesus laugh with them? Did the apostles and Jairus and his wife laugh? I don't think so. We don't laugh at people who have the power to do what they say. We don't laugh. We only laugh at people who don't have the power to fulfill their boasts. Think of, I mean, we laugh at, at the weak who boast because they're powerless to accomplish what they say. That is what these lamenters are thinking, isn't it? That's the only way they can laugh in the presence of Jesus. He can't do what he said. He doesn't know what he's talking about. What a joke. What an idiot. He's going to go in there and try to wake up this young lady, and she's going to sit there lifeless because she is dead. And that is cynicism. That is unbelief. Nothing is impossible for God. And Jesus goes to the girl, takes her by the hand, and speaks, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. Her spirit, though separated from her body, obeyed the words of Christ. His word is powerful. Immediately, I imagine the laughter ceased. And then, guess who's probably laughing? The three apostles and the parents. Not the laughter of the cynic, but the laughter of the believer. Right? The believer who rejoices in the power of God, like the laughter you and I enjoy when, when God answers one of our prayers in just like a crazy manner. It, it, you just break out in laughter. Because you're acknowledging that God is powerful. You say, Praise the Lord. That kind of laughter we could use more of. Exiles, um, <clears throat> exiles end, right? We read in the Old Testament, exiles end and the people of God laugh, right? When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dreamed, and our mouths were filled with laughter, and our tongue with joyful shouting. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Even in the face of death, we may laugh because death has lost its sting. The Son of God has triumphed over death, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Think of the joy of Jairus. Not fearing meant knowing that Jesus could and would bring her back. Like Abraham, our faithful father, who considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. And Jesus said to her, child, arise. Child, arise. 
you and every believing person who is indeed a child of God will hear those same words from Jesus Christ. The hour cometh and will soon be here when the voice of Christ shall call all his people from their graves and gather them together to part no more. Believing husbands shall once more see believing wives. Believing parents shall once more see believing children. Christ shall unite the whole family in the great home in heaven, and all tears will be wiped away from eyes. Notice how the scene ends. The rejoicing is going on. The daughter is back on her feet. Shouts of praise to God are flying from their mouths, and Jesus remembers that she's probably hungry. God is so compassionate. God is so great. He gave orders for something to be given her to eat. That is the astonishing kindness of God. He's thoughtful. Not only is Jesus concerned for the grieving hearts of Jairus and his wife, he's concerned with the hunger pangs of a 12-year-old girl who's just been returned from death to life. Jesus didn't want her to be hungry. She had likely been ill for some time and unable to eat, and now that she is supernaturally fully healthy, she's going to want a gigantic plate of spaghetti. He not only revives her spirit, he desires that her countenance and her body be lifted. Give her some food. Jesus cares about this seemingly unimportant detail of her life. Now, you may be thinking right now that this is a cruel passage to preach this morning. This is a cruel passage where a father receives back his daughter. And particularly given what the Howards are desiring right now, that Aubrey would be returned to them. But this is not cruelty. This is the word of the Lord. As As I waited to see the Howards outside their apartment... I was thinking of this passage. And after some time, and the members of the coroner's office walked past with, walked, walked past with Aubrey, covered from head to toe in blankets, and I thought to myself, would that Jesus were here and he could just simply say, child, arise. And he would take her by the hand and he would walk back in with her and he'd say, She's hungry. And she'd get a fresh bottle of breast milk. Would that Jesus were here. But dear brothers and sisters, where is Jesus? Jesus is seated to the right hand of the Father. And he, in his good timing, determined that it was time For Aubrey to arise. He is not here like he was when that young lady, the daughter of Jairus, was raised. But think of it, the result is the same. The result is the same, rising to life in the presence of God. Rising to life in the presence of Jesus Oh, it's our loss for sure, but it's Aubrey's gain. It's Aubrey's gain. Jesus has said to her, arise. And her soul knows every kind of healing. She's been saved. 
She's been saved. She's been saved from the terrible pangs of broken relationships and terrible sins and a guilty conscience and constant regrets and the continual aches and pains that are all familiar to us in this life. She's been saved from that. God, God gave Ron and Kinsey and all of us nine months to enjoy her bouncy little self. And now he has taken her to be with him. She is not less happy. She is not less safe. She is not less alone. Just days ago, she saw in a mirror dimly, but now Aubrey sees face to face. She knew in part in a nine-month-old sort of way, but now she knows fully just as she has been fully known. She has been transferred out of this domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom she has redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Her short life was well spent. Well spent. She was a warrior for God. As the psalmist tells us, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your enemies. To make the enemy and the revengeful cease. She was a warrior. She lived her whole life established in strength, praising God for his righteous judgments and denouncing the enemies of God. She's God's child. Oh, this is so painful to think about, but it's better that she is God's child to have her soul guarded from destruction eternally than that she be merely our child here to give us both joy and trials. God has spared her the miseries of this life. This is perfectly expressed in the graveside liturgy of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. I think that's where this is from. Man that is born of woman has but a short time to live and is full of trouble. He comes up and is cut down like a flower. He flees like a shadow and never continues in one place. In the midst of life, we are in death. And of whom may we seek for relief but of thee, O Lord? who for our sins are justly displeased. Thou knowest, Lord, the secrets of our hearts. Shut not your merciful ears to our prayers, but spare us. Thou most worthy judge eternal, suffer us not at our last hour for any pains of death to fall from thee. Four days ago, God Almighty said to Aubrey, Child, arise. Child, arise. And at that moment, by God's unchangeable will, her soul departed her body, and she knew, for the first time, perfect peace and joy. Her discipleship was finished in a moment. She is now eternally safe, eternally at rest, eternally risen, and God gave Aubrey to Ron and Kinsey for a moment. And how wonderfully she was loved by you. But now God has said of her whom he created, mine. 
God has said that. Do not, therefore, be angry with God. Do not resist his severe mercies. Do not be bitter, for he has dealt bountifully with you and with all of us. Now, Ron and Kinsey and all of Aubrey's family, and we are left here to carry on, to glorify God through our grief, and to shuffle through this miserable life. Full of trouble, filled with anxiety and death and misery. And we have to wait. Wait to go be with those we love. And wait to be with our glorious Father who rescues us from sin and death. And we've been taught in a very hard way to number our days. We've been taught in these days to long for heaven. Let me share with you this John Donne poem that wonderfully expresses the Christian hope regarding Christ's defeat of death. It is sort of mocking of death. Death be not proud. Death Be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. One short sleep past, and we wake eternally. And death shall be no more, death you shall die. And finally, this from the word of God. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we need Jesus. We need We need your spirit to be ministering to our hearts. We need, we need you to minister to the hearts of Ron and Kinsey. We need you to work in their hearts joy in your salvation. We need you to work it in there because, Father, it's being, it's, it's, it feels, I know that it, it's, it feels like it's being forced out. Forced out by grief. Forced out by the circumstances that they've had to endure. Your severe mercies, Lord, I pray that you would have mercy upon them. 
We thank you that you have promised to be a God to our children and our children's children. We thank you that that Aubrey was marked as your child in baptism. We thank you that her parents were discipling her. And Father, we thank you for For the truth that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We thank you that you have drawn her soul to yourself. That you have given her understanding. That you have given her strength. That you have given her joy. Father, I pray that you would, would, through these, these circumstances that we can barely think about with and speak. Father, that you would turn them to your glory. That there would be those who have rejected you, who would come to know you through the testimony of your word, through the testimony of the Howards. Father, I thank, I thank you that, that there is, that a sparrow falls and you know about it, that nothing is arbitrary, nothing happens but your will. What great comfort there is in knowing that. And yet, Father, it's, it is painful at times. And we cry out to you for help. We cry out to you to heal the wounds that you have given to us. Oh, Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the resurrection of the dead. We thank you for life everlasting. We thank you, we thank you for saving souls. We thank you that our bodies, though they will decay, will rise again and be made imperishable. And we will forever worship you and we will have no funerals to attend. We'll have no sorrows at all and you yourself have promised to wipe away our tears. Father, we will be crying and we will need you to wipe away those tears. Oh, Father, we pray for your strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.